Hello, and welcome to the 42nd episode of the Another Game Podcast. I'm Tom Hatfield, and with me I've got Philip Awar. Hello. And no one else. Hi, Pip. Hello. How have you been? I have been very well, thank you. Been enjoying the nice weather, leaving the house, all manner of things. Wow, leaving the house. That's it's been great. Well, leaving the house wasn't that great because I'd applied for a postal <laughs> vote and uh, that just hadn't materialised. So the ease and the not disrupting my schedule of the postal vote turned into having to go to the council offices in person and fill in my voting form in full view of anyone who happened to, you know, wander through reception and then handing it back in. So, you know, not ideal, but... That's better yeah. than losing it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. But, you know, nice weather and that. It's good. Goes completely in the face of video games. <laughs> How about you? Um, yeah, I've been, I've been fine as well. Yeah, uh, I, I haven't been enjoying the weather that much, to be perfectly honest. Other than trudging up and down the small hill to get to my house. But... It's better than the large hill I used to live up. Well, that's <laughs> miserable of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's quite depressing. Um, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I'll be more positive. I like the f- uh, I've been enjoying the fact that my I live in a bright pink room now. Uh, <laughs> my, yeah, my my current room appears to be being decorated in the style of a twelve-year-old girl. Or someone who <laughs> likes pink. Or someone who likes pink. That was very that was very bad of me to say that. I shouldn't have said that. Mm. Mm. It has glow-in-the-dark stars on the ceiling. Mm. Are they arranged in constellations, or did the person who put them up just no, throw the, any sense the, of the astronomy is all reality place. to the... Well, <laughs> no, that room's dead to me now. If you can't make the effort when it comes to the celestial bodies <laughs> that surround us, then screw it. Mm-hmm. Right, so what have you been playing? I've been um, playing Knights of the Old Republic 2. I have been going back to it for a retrospective for official Xbox magazine. Hmm. Which I've always found a really fascinating game. Hence why I pitched a retrospective about it. You know, you don't have to write them about things you found boring the first time around. Because uh, it's kind of like... I think someone described this to me. It might have been Chris as... Um, it's the game of how Chris Avalon is too smart for Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the first uh, Kotor game. I enjoy uh, I enjoy a lot of Bioware games and those kind of RPGs, but it is kind of the collision of that and Star Wars is really really black and white morality as le- leads to the most ridiculous of all the like Bioware binary mor- morality choices. There's literally a bit in Kotor one where you're like given the choice between oh hey you can um, turn off this machine by pressing a button. Or you can blow it up and ruin the oceans of this entire world. What do you think you should do? I see. And what <laughs> did you do? Um, I, uh, I turned it off. I, I generally play the good guy in games. Um, I see. I cannot identify with this at all. <laughs> it's, it really screws you over if you turn it off as well because you get kicked off the entire planet. Uh, hmm. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know why this option is even here. <laughs> uh, oh, man. But whereas uh, KOTOR 2 is all about shades of grey, and it's all about um, being morally ambiguous, which you don't see a lot of in um, you know in Star Wars, because it's, as, it's a very black and white setting, and that's what makes it really interesting. 
like um, one of the first things you do is you um, is when you talk to people about the events of Kotor One, you know, big Jedi Sith battle, they refer to it as the Jedi Civil War because it's, they don't really see a difference. They're just two kind. They're just two kinds of religious of weird religious not decided to beat the crap out of each other um, and other interesting stuff like that really um, is there anything you haven't enjoyed going back to it um, well because I'm because uh, I'm looking at the uh, Xbox version for XM it means I haven't got the extremely good uh, and the extremely thorough like fan patch and extended content thing and it is still it's a game that was made in a year by Obsidian who whose games are you know typically kind of buggy uh, and rushed and you can tell you, you can uh, you know you can tell it has problems in that area I mean um, I've, not, I've not had too many bug problems but it was a game that like the ending was deeply rushed and unfinished and uh, the a lot of the RPG stuff like if you um in Nice Steel Republic 1, for instance, for example, um, all the items in the game and all the gear and stuff was all carefully placed by hand. They didn't have time to do that in this one, so everything's completely random, which doesn't work as well. Mm. Uh, because with the kind of carefully crafted narrative game, the, the random loot element, the, the almost you know random Diablo-esque loot element doesn't really work as well. Mm. Um uh, and yeah, other things like that. And to be honest, the uh, the 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 underlying system is a bit old and ropey. It's uh, it's weird going back to that era before. I guess it was Mass Effect already, or around around Mass Effect where those RPGs started make, putting more player control, a bit being less transparently pen and paper RPGs that are running rolling virtual dice behind the scenes. Mm. Yeah, um, and often older and um, pen and paper RPGs that have, you know, design problems of their own, even when played with dice, not played by a computer pretending it's not actually rolling dice. <laughs> okay. Mm. Is there a pen and paper RPG of uh, KOTOR? Yes, it was based on the uh, D20 Star Wars. D20 is kind of like the basic system behind... Uh, the basic system behind, uh, well, it's still behind Dungeons and Dragons, but specifically it was behind uh, Dungeons and Dragons Third Edition. Mm. You probably know this, but not everyone listening might. D, and then a number denotes the kind of dice. Uh, so a D6 is your traditional dice. A D20 is the 20-sided dice. I have a lot of D8s for some reason. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so um, the central idea of rolling a 20-sided dice and then adding or subtracting a modifier and all the maths involved with that was kind of released as an open source engine in the uh, in the in the 90s I think it was um, and loads of games loads of games were made in that system it doesn't necessarily suit everything um, mm. which is why in which is why sometimes when you look in the skills and stuff in Kotor it does kind of feel like um, you know fantasy RPG redressed as Star Wars, although I guess that fits that better than any other sci- Star Wars better than any other sci-fi setting to do that. Mm. Um. Hmm. Mm. I see. Because I haven't played um, either of the KOTOR games, so... It's definitely worth it, still. Um, 
Kotor Kotor one is kind of this this tipping point between like it's it's like halfway between the early um, RPG stuff of uh, Baldur's Gate and then the later stuff of Mass Effect. It's kind of where it's kind of where that turnaround happened, I think. Mm. Um, uh, and Kotor two is yeah. Uh, the slightly unfinished sequel, <laughs> but it's also interesting because the first one is by Bioware and the second one is by Obsidian, and seeing their contrasting approaches to the same uh, to the same subject uh, is also really cool. Um, like I said, the Bioware one is more polished, and uh, uh, whereas the Obsidian one is wonky but has really interesting ideas and in writing, which kind of describes all Obsidian games really. <laughs> Um, I like him as a company, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of glad that they're working on Pillars of Eternity now because I'm hoping the step, kind of, the, the step uh, backwards technologically will mean that they're that will mean that they it comes out a little bit more polished. Mm, yeah, it'll cater to their strengths rather than. Yeah, exactly. Rather than, I mean, like the ultimate for that, uh, for the, I mean, uh, something like say New Vegas or. Um, Alpha Protocol, you know, in New Vegas, big 3D world, Alpha Protocol trying to be Mass Effect style, and those, uh, that's not where their talents lie, really. They're not actually, they haven't had as much experience with these big 3D worlds as they have with, say, Artemisia RPGs and stuff like that. And it kind of takes the focus away from the person-to-person interaction, which is where they're really good. Mm. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, and it's, uh, I definitely recommend playing them. They just, um, like I said, these you probably recognise a lot of stuff if uh, a lot of stuff that's you know influenced Mass Effect especially like the idea of using your ship as your hub is from Kotor, um, and yeah, and they've got um, some a lot of the what would be the hallmarks of Bioware turn up in, in the Knights of the Old Republic one. Like um, mm. it's the first time they tried. Uh, it wasn't the first time they tried romances. That was uh, Baldur's Gate two, I think. Um, but it was the first time they started. Um, uh, they started thinking more about diversity. I was watching a, a talk from David Gator at GDC recently, where he talks about how that was the first time they did. Um, like when they first did romances in Baldur's Gate One, uh, Baldur's Gate Two, there were three um, male to female romances, two uh, and one um, female to male romance, and no same sex romances. Um, but Kotor is that when they had um one of each and they had this uh same sex relationship that didn't but it was kind of unfinished and they never really committed they kind of danced around it a little um mm. that kind and doing that kind of set them along the path of to where they are now where they're a big champion of that sort of thing mm. um, which uh, yeah he's uh he's written something about it on his blog and he talked about it in a talk which is really interesting um about how those things evolved, uh, and yeah, these are the hallmarks of uh, stuff as well, and some great characters as well. Um, HK47 is in there, who's still consistently one of the funniest comedy sidekicks they've ever written. Okay, <laughs> he's I like a bit of comedy. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, and extremely evil, which will fit with you. Is uh, <laughs> I think uh, is yeah. he me? <laughs> <laughs> he's like kind of like. C-3PO if C-3PO was programmed for murder. Cool. <laughs> well, that's something like... that I can believe in. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, so what have you been playing lately? 
Well, um, I'm doing something slightly different with Daisy at the moment. Mm. Um, as in, I'm not playing it so much, but I boosted it up the other day to uh, go and explore and find a book um, because it has a lot of uh, public domain books just sort of for set dressing scattered around. So what I'm doing is I am starting up a Daisy book club where... <laughs> I went and found the first book, which is Betty Zane. Um, it's about an American frontiers woman, basically. Um, and then what I'm going to do is once I finish that, so maybe sort of not next week, but the week after because of free time and things, um, I'll probably go back into Daisy and then just sort of discuss it with people if other people have joined in and just talk about it, if not on stream, um, just for as long as it takes me to find the next book. Um, and then so is that is the whole book in there the, it's not a case of reading the book in game it's um you go you find the book and then i'll just download it on um my e-reader and stuff like that because they're um public domain stuff so that oh, right, okay. you know you can pick them up free of charge um, oh yeah i imagine it'd be very awkward to read it in game i was just wondering if that if it actually was in there because it'd be kind of interesting uh, no i tried to open well, certainly I tried to open the one that I found and uh, it doesn't open as far as I can tell. It's just, you know, that's the book and the title that they have used. So, yeah. um, it's just, um, I know like with um, with Skyrim, for example, they've got all these in-game books and they're all a short yeah. paragraph or two. Because obviously you're not going to sit down and read the whole thing. But uh, I don't know, I just it, it, even though I doubt anyone would sit down and do that, it would be an interesting way to address the world to just... Because if it's public domain, you don't have to write the whole damn thing yourself. You just dump the text in. Well, yeah, I mean, I thought that that could be interesting if it was in there. But, I mean, the way that Daisy is structured, you would, it would mean staying in one place for a long time and therefore putting yourself... I don't mind being at risk because I think that could be interesting. Yeah. But at the reading. Same, but at the same time... Um, just the sort of the danger of starvation and thirst and things like that. You know, you get a few paragraphs in and a, a few chapters in, sorry, and then you die because in game you're, you know, wasting away or whatever. Um, so I figured that that actually could be interesting, although it took me quite a while to find the first book. And um, I bumped into somebody in game who was sort of talking to me a little bit and, you know, just in the kind of I'm not going to shoot you kind of way because he had a big old rifle I was like mm, I'm gonna die aren't I um and then because I hadn't found a book in a while I said have you seen any books and he was just like what <laughs> uh, you know like that's not the question that he thought I'd be asking and then so I tried to explain I was like look I'm just trying to collect books like do, have you seen any around the place and um as I was walking away I heard him call me a weirdo <laughs> Um, so you know that that's a thing that I think you know that might well be how people think of this but I mean I was because these are the things that I mean I know it's probably a throwaway kind of we would like a cipher for the fact that people have existed here before therefore we're going to insert something that is shorthand for culture mm. and that is 
classic novels or whatever. But I was interested in the fact that given that if you were actually living in that environment, the obviously the along with all the other traditional structures, the entertainment sort of infrastructure would have broken broken down. And therefore those books would probably actually be insanely valuable just for their entertainment capacity. And you'd mm. probably, you know, start to really treasure some of them. And so I was just interested in sort of actually thinking about that and thinking about what the culture available to you would be and also you know the fact that only public domain things can survive an apocalypse um yeah i was gonna say it's interesting because it kind of means that it kind of gives it this weird implication that in daisy no one actually came up with anything culturally new for like a for however long it is for public domain like, like what is it 75 years and the life of the artist yeah so like for like 70 to 100 years no one's no wonder they no wonder the whole society descended into anarchy but i mean yeah and so the first bit that i found is this thing about sort of exploring well you know i've i'm not far into it at all but it's you know the first chapter so far has been about people who go off to explore what they think is a wilderness and you know there's some supremely dodgy uh politics you know given that it was written quite a time ago and yeah um yeah, I guess you've got to be careful about that well but at the same time it's still a kind of an interesting thing mm. to have as the first book given that i'm i've just deposited myself into a strange video game land and you yeah. know it's the there's a hostility to the to the surroundings and things like that so yeah and I, I was it did make me wonder how much they'd actually thought about which books to include because I think there has been some thought there but I think you know just in terms of maybe just even going down a list and saying that one that one that one that one I don't know how deep any consideration would be but um yeah so that's been interesting i'm gonna to have to try and come up with maybe some rules to it for because i know that the new testament and stuff are in there and i think there's a couple of books in other languages like i think it's got um twenty thousand leagues under the sea but i think it's got it in french <laughs> you're so... really at this point you're kind of like reenacting the plot of the book of eli <laughs> gonna go hunt down the last copy of the bible <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so i just i don't know i was just interested in that idea of experiencing that world in a slightly different way and um trying to sort of engage with it on maybe its own terms or you know on terms that perhaps weren't particularly thought out but exist and are important to me yeah no it's, it's interesting i i i don't know i haven't actually played daisy uh the standalone i I might do it in the future, but I was kind of waiting for it to be a little bit more developed. Um, but the uh, I like it, those sort of big, empty, wander around games. It always feels like you really need to set your own objective. And if it's something a little bit weird, like hunting for books is, then all the better. Well, this kind of, it has uh, its roots in... Do you remember how Craig kidnapped my friend Matt? <laughs> I um, never forget. I, as part of that, because he seemed quite interested in the books that I had picked up just while I was faffing about, um, I actually tried to barter for Matt's return using Middlemarch. Um, but it kind of, I guess it flagged up books in a weirdly important way just because it was all I had to hand. Mm. 
in terms of something to offer. And of course, you know, in, in terms of a video game, someone's just going to be like, you've kind of offered me the equivalent of like a useless wet rag that's just going to take <laughs> up, you know, inventory space. But if you stop thinking about it as a video game, it could actually be super valuable just mm. in terms of being you know, one of the only things available to you to take you out of your current stressful, awful situation. Yeah. I really like the idea of using public domain stuff as kind of set dressing games. Um, have you ever played The Darkness? No. That, no, I've got it somewhere, I think. Yeah. That has the entirety of uh, To Kill a Mockingbird in it. Hmm. Um, like, at one point, um, play a character whose name I've forgotten. <laughs> Uh, just decides uh, is just having like a quiet night in with his girlfriend, and they sit down and watch To Kill a Mockingbird, and you mm. can do that for as long as you like. You can sit there and watch the whole damn movie. Um, That's and not then when you get up public walk- domain, though, is it? Is it? Uh, I thought it was. Because it's, I think it was published in the sixties, wasn't it? Um, I'm I not think. sure. It might be. There are things that sometimes end up in the public domain for different reasons because no what someone didn't renew the license or something like that. Um I don't know, maybe they did just buy the rights to it, who knows? Um but I found that really interesting anyway. Um mm. uh, and yeah, you can sit down and watch the whole thing and then the rest of the game basically picks up when you go and when you when you walk out the door. And so that could be a couple of minutes in as as he goes, actually, I've got to go somewhere. Or we could just sit down and watch the whole movie and then get on with um, murdering mobsters with your demon arms. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, like I... Yeah, because obviously games themselves don't exist within a cultural vacuum. So it's kind of interesting to think about consuming culture from within them rather than just sort of via the references and echoes that they show you mm. from elsewhere. So yeah, that's that's part yeah, that's that's a big part of what I've been doing this week really. Um I've been playing some other things just in terms of uh I've been revisiting games, but um yeah, like that's the thing that's been that I've been really interested in. So yeah. Hmm. But I guess yeah, if anybody is interested in joining me for that then um yeah the the first book is betty zane and i'll uh, probably get back to it uh, as in get back on stream in the first week of june cool. so yeah and i happily welcome anyone who wants to traverse a zombie infested wasteland and talk about that <laughs> so yeah that's the bargain feed pip and she will discuss culture with you <laughs> Just just read it to the people as long as they keep feeding you. <laughs> Why would they be feeding me? Because <laughs> yeah, otherwise you'll die. Oh, yeah, in, no. in the game, not in real life. That's... <laughs> Although, I suppose, if, yeah, if they want to bring you ice cream or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could work. Instead of a Sainsbury's delivery. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so that's what I've been doing. Um, now, because we don't have a special guest and we've both been busy doing other things, uh, we were going to make this a short but sweet podcast. So shall we switch over to questions from Twitter? That sounds good. I think we have quite a few in here because there were some we didn't finish up yesterday. Uh, yesterday? Uh, <laughs> last start, last time. Okay, do you want to go from those then? Yes, I'm going to scroll all that down. Um we also have a lot that you got today. But again, they're mostly jokes. You get lots of questions, but not all of them are serious. 
<laughs> story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Dan Price asks, have you considered starting a podcast beef? All the cool podcasts hate each other. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really think that that would be in my interests, given that quite a lot of the um, the other podcasts involve commissioning editors of mine. <laughs> so I think that... I mean, you know, I, I've I've been we trying to play. We did kind of start by uh, by having a, a faux beef, as it were, with uh, creating crowbar, but that's kind of dissolved as you appeared on it. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. Um... Oh, I think I distanced myself from that. <laughs> it's it's freelancing. You're just like I'm not burning my bridges with anyone. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe. Um pick something from a completely different sphere you know yeah or just yeah or, or something run by developers we could have a fight with idle thumbs they they're all developers they don't pay us and they're taller than me though <laughs> <laughs> but not taller than me so it evens out that's true again freelancer i'm not concerned about your well-being <laughs> uh um, yeah, so I don't know. Like, maybe we should start a beef with who? Who answer? Who asked the question? Uh, Dan Price. Yeah, with Dan Price. Dan Price, I've got your number. I'm watching you. <laughs> no, no more of this. Otherwise, you know, mm. come get you. Hang on, is that a threat? Can I be prosecuted mm. for this? Maybe not. <laughs> okay. Slightly heavier question here. Um... Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Purple Chair asks, is it fair to judge foreign games by Western liberal standards? Um, That's quite a loaded way of phrasing that question. Well, the second half is, is not doing so, is not doing so a cynically permissive argument? Uh, yeah, as it is quite a loaded question. I, I'm guessing it's partly after the Nintendo Tomodachi Life thing. Mm. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, yes. Um, when we when you're talking about like things like um, when you're talking about things like diversity, they're they're not Western standards; they're human standards, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and especially if if you're going to sell the game, like if if you want to make uh, a game in another country that um, carries the cultural values of that country or whatever, and only, and only sell it there, I probably won't even notice. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get terribly angry about that, but if you're going to try and come over here, if you're going to try and sell it to the West, then absolutely you've got to consider how how people will react over here. I think that when you're considering a game and when you're engaging with a game, um, you obviously bring your own set of values to the to the experience, and you know all you can really do is is judge what you think the game is doing through through that prism you can't really separate what you believe out from that I mean you know there are things that I believe that are just basic human rights Mm. and so I will not react well to them being present in an you know like things that run counter to that I won't you know uh, enjoy their gaming experience that that is them part of I think the there is something to be said for being aware, like culturally aware of context mm. and why things have come into being. But obviously you sort of, you have your own 
set of values and those are important to you and they are the things by which you live your life and so you know for me those will always be a massive part of whether or not I enjoy a gaming experience yeah and I mean like and you know I do reserve the right to you know criticize developers and things over implementing stuff I don't like and policies I completely disagree with and mm. that run counter to those I mean I but you know this... we'll always try and understand where they come from yeah I always find this line of thinking a bit weird it's like um it, it is sort of uh do I really have any right to yes it's it's your opinion <laughs> you get to decide it <laughs> you know I suppose there's a you know but there's the danger of assuming that you are always right about something mm. and therefore that can be a problem mm-hmm. in some ways. And, and you know, yeah. you get into some massive grey areas with, I guess, things that people can and have taken issue with that aren't, you know, that don't feel as, as straightforward to me, whereas they might to someone else, I guess. Yeah. I mean, and I know I'm talking in vague generalities here, but I, yeah, I'm sort of struggling to come up with specific examples. I'm just trying to think in terms of theoretical possibilities because obviously it would just change from situation to situation and depending on why something had arisen. And, you know, if it's a global company who is sort of trying to sell a product in a certain way, you know, it might play very differently to somebody who's just created something niche for a very specific audience for a very specific purpose I think it's some, as a question that is going to be something that becomes increasingly important at the moment uh, especially because we've seen like I've noticed I've seen like, the rise of like Eastern European studios and things like that because well mostly because it's it's, it's a lot cheaper to make games there and um, I occasionally have issues with something like the Witcher and things like that, which feel maybe a little less progressive than Western games, and that's not terribly progressive to, as is. So I don't know. It's something that might well come up in future. Well, there was that stuff with uh, Warface and oh, yeah. the cultural relativism. Like, because I was talking to the uh, the guys about that, and you know, the fact that he was perfectly comfortable telling me that they had of you know created you know more revealing outfits for people in other parts of uh, other regions just because that was sort of what they wanted and you're kind of like you know it it that's the issue of responsibility and at what point you um mm. push back against what your audience wants in favor of something that you perhaps believe in as important and you know it Obviously, this is just how I would do things. And, you know, like in terms of, so for example, if you're running a website, you know, the things that people will click on in their droves might be something like, you know, Kate Middleton has wardrobe malfunction or something. But, you know, it it won't necessarily be the thing that you agree with actually putting front and centre on your site or that you Mm. want to be known for or that you think actually feeds into a healthy uh, environment online and so you know that's more to do with engaging your own critical faculties and your own judgment and your own yeah values yeah. and trying to work out how to bring those and embody them in everything you do yeah and 
another thing that is worth pointing out here is who who decides what the the culture of a place is. I mean, if you if you think a place is if you think some other country as does not have liberal values, I'm sure there are people there that do, and they probably aren't happy about the current situation. So, yeah, think about who's defining what a culture is. Um, in that case, anyway. That's, so, that's, you know, it all just leads back to judge each situation on its merits and, you know, try and keep in mind what you believe and why you believe it and sort of, you know, question that as much as you can just to make sure that you still hold those values or understand why you do. But, yeah. Uh, okay. I don't know if that was helpful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last one that isn't people teasing Ben is uh, the one we actually tried to answer at the end of the last podcast, but it got uh, mangled as people uh, as I had some internet troubles, which is uh, Stephen Lambert asking, what animal would you most like to hunt in Far Cry 4, and what would you um, uh, and what would you make from its bits? I think I decided that I was going to hunt a badger and make some spats out of it, because <laughs> just to annoy Craig, really, just to troll him for his ridiculous opinions about foxes uh, in a previous week. So... Yeah. Yeah, mm. it's set in the Himalayas, isn't it? I don't even know what would be there. I I'm quite happy to hunt all things. I quite like to hunt birds actually, because I've been in so many games. Where I've seen a bird fly past and I've tried to shoot it and nothing has happened. So I, I would accidentally actually... killed some hawks in Guild Wars Two the other day and felt really dreadful about it. Uh, felt like a monster, so I don't advise it. Okay. <laughs> so maybe yeah. Uh, I don't know, maybe the ability to shoot a parrot out of the sky and then dress myself in its feathers. Mm. I don't know what you make with it, though, because Far Cry has a very strange concept of, of, of crafting. Mm. Um, I mean, like, I, I kind of love the implications that it has for the world. Like, you can, you know that anyone who has over a thousand pound in Far Cry has killed three dingoes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way they can do it. So, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Uh, kill a parrot to upgrade my credit card. <laughs> I see. <laughs> um, I was actually, uh, yeah. Although, considering how all Ubisoft games are kind of merging into one, um, it would be quite amusing to me to just find the just ridiculous hunting games that are in both Far Cry and Assassin's Creed Black Flag and something like Watch Dogs. <laughs> That's what the dogs are for. Oh. <laughs> Building a cell phone cover hmm. I don't know I think I just have to find the sweet spot of animals that I am fine with killing in a digital environment because sometimes I'll just find myself with a odd pang of conscience or you know suddenly I've identified with an animal and gone oh no oh no I have to kill it oh this is dreadful Again, so. Pip you are a person who literally collect, who, <laughs> earlier in our podcast talked about how you collect things from the people you've killed well, yeah, I mean, that's fine. That's people. <laughs> and that's also, how like you led all your badger anything. cubs to their deaths? They were really annoying and needy. <laughs> oh, look, I didn't say that there was any amazing underlying logic to all of this. All I'm saying is I'd like to kill things that I don't have any amazing attachment to to get cool stuff. Hmm. So some kind of animal you hate, then. Thus appalling all vegetarian and vegan listeners that we might have gathered upon the way. You can all leave now. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay. Uh, uh, it's over to your questions, by the way. Oh, God. Um, okay, cool. So we have a, a question from Ed Stern. He's got several, actually. Uh, uh, it's the, we should have a jingle for this, questions from Ed. Indeed. Um, who has the best cuffs in games? I don't know if he means handcuffs, because there's quite a lot of prison-related gaming. Um, or whether he just means cuffs in terms of fashion, uh, in which case I would actually say that I don't think there's there's been enough cuff action. That's a good point. No, no one's cuffs are standing out to me. I just, I, I mean, I'm you know. I'm trying to remember if Deus Ex has, like, like rough cuffs. Possibly, but I mean, they they're not popping to mind. Mm. Mm. Uh, so basically, video games try harder. Yeah, more cuffs. I can't think of anything except you know, handcuffs. Mm. Um, yeah, there's probably some Final Fantasy character with enormous cuffs made out of belts. Maybe. <laughs> probably. Um, uh, he's also asked. Remember that aroma peripheral that would puff smells at you? Which games should or should not have smells? Mm, good question. I was talking about this on Twitter to um, Andy Kelly because he was tweeting about which game worlds would you not like to smell, I think. <laughs> this was entirely because he came up with the pun, with the phrase Oculus Sniffed. Mm, but um, I decided that... Um, did you ever play Conker's Bad Fur Day? I haven't, no. So there's a level in that where the boss um, is called the Great Mighty Pooh and he lives in Pooh Mountain and he basically sings an operatic song while throwing poo at you. Mm. So I think that perhaps not having smell-o-vision, a smell-o-controller-vision, I don't even know what this would be, um, in, in Pooh Mountain would have been good. A good. A strong decision by the gaming industry right there. That is that is a good point. Um, Duty of care. I would also not like to smell the meat circus in uh, Psychonauts. I think mm. that would be pretty weird. Um, well, I don't know what I would like to smell though. I think anything that looks like it's got a really good dinner. Mm. Like you know, just sort of leaving all of that on the table. Again, things I don't want to smell. You know, there was a lot of like rotting food in Bioshock Infinite. Mm. So I don't think I'd. Everything, that's because everything comes out of bins in Bioshock. But I mean on tables and things. Like entire sort of tables were covered in just um, like rotting food, I think. Mm. Oh, I bet System Shock smells horrible. Um, so yeah, there's an awful lot of that kind of stuff. You need, I, yeah, you probably want some super clean future. that like, like Mirror's Edge or something. Yeah, Mirror's Edge is kind of nice in that they, they, they're a really great job. It like kind window of, lean or something. Yeah. They do a very good job on the mirror's edge of making it slightly everything slightly faded around the edges, uh, which is really cool. So it, it looks like you, from a distance it's got this sheen to it, but then you come up against the white walls and there's just enough just enough wear and tear to make them seem real. It's really nice. But yeah, something like Mirror's Edge or um, Mass Effect, they probably smell of nothing. Though. They're probably completely odorless features. I bet Viva Pinata smells nice. That's uh, true. Mm-hmm. Except it's when it gets like... really hot and all the chocolate melts. Yeah, well, I I don't know. Like, I kind of didn't think that it was chocolate entirely. I thought it was just sweets. Mm. So I'm not a big fan of chocolate. So 
I don't really know. Uh, pinatas are kind of an American thing. <laughs> I don't actually. I'm not actually sure what's supposed to be in that. They had. Yeah, they used to sell them in Woolworths. Really? I'll have you know. Ah, yeah. They used to be Woolworths. Um. Mm, true. Uh, Moment silence for that. Mm. Um, and uh, Ed's uh, last question is: Do any games do sneezing well? This sparked a little mini discussion as well, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, a bit. Uh, I can't think of anyone doing sneezing. Um, well, Joe was pointing out that, like, you know, human touches make a difference. And I, I, I wrote a thing for PC Gamer a while back about idle animations mm. and how those are sort of key in imbuing personality or sort of humanness uh, to characters. I think there's, there's, like, there's not a lot of good blocking in games. Um, at least uh, I don't know if that's the term that everyone uses, but that's one that I was taught at Holden Theatre, which is you know the motions you go through while you're talking to while you're uh, acting out a scene. So often there'll be a lot of there's a lot of static talking heads of people just standing a few feet away from each other and speaking without mm. much expression, um, rather than you know actively doing things that are visually interesting and that because that's Partly because that's how people talk, but more importantly because it makes it breaks up the scene, makes it more visually interesting. I think that's part of why I really like um, uh, Naughty Dog are very good at that, and uh, the Mass Effect games are really good as well. Like having someone just doing something in the scene, like someone will be fixing themselves a drink or playing fiddling with their camera. Or um, I mean, Mass Effect Three is fantastic at it because it, it opens with like an interactive walk and talk, so the whole thing's happening. You know, you, you guys are walking down the corridor, talking to people, uh, talking to people who are rushing past in the background, um, and it because it's a massive conversation, it's fully interactive, which makes it hilarious if you just don't say anything because you you realise they're walking around in an infinite circle. Mm. Uh, but then, um, uh, and then after, later on, there's like the first scene you had with, have with uh, James Vega, which is actually has like a boxing match as they talk. Um, so I'd like to see more of that in games, but there isn't a lot. Is there? There might be sneezing in Mass Effect because I know Tally can get a cold. Possibly. Uh, I cared not much for Tally, um, but I I think mostly because I saw her as a rival for Garrus's affection. <laughs> she anyway, is. well, exactly. Obviously, but I mean, you know, that's. I think that's partly why I just didn't care. Um, but anyway, so I think in games, sneezing, because it's actually such a pronounced activity in terms of your motions and the noise and everything like that, I think it tends to be more of a set piece. Like, you know, you sneeze because that's mm-hmm. the point at which you alert guards to the fact that you're there. Or you sneeze because, you know, someone has, I don't know, picked up a really dusty book i'm sure that there have been i I just you know can't remember specifics but um there's so much in the face with sneezing as well that for the most unless you're that most games wouldn't really able to express it very well i'm guessing it's just too disruptive because if you have too much of it then it becomes ridiculous or ostentatious or just feels weird because there's a person who's just always bloody sneezing I actually, you describing it there as getting someone's attention uh, or giving yourself away. I'd actually kind of love it if in a first-person stealth game like Feath or something, and you get into this big dusty area, and Garrett just goes, "Achoo!" Oh crap! (laughs) (laughs) 
That would be cool. Or like, you know, maybe in a stealth game you just play in a like yeah, like you your character has hay fever or something and you have to like in addition to sneaking past people, you have to also sort of work out how not to sneeze, like whether you need to, you know, try and surreptitiously blow your nose or like, you know, hold your nose or you know, anything. You hold like it too that. long your eyes start to water and your vision goes wonky. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. That could be interesting anyway. <laughs> Uh, Adrian Moore asks what's considered the most anticipated game right now um, uh, this is quite an awkward question. I, um, I think E3 <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah I was actually I saw an article the other day that called Watch Dogs the most anticipated game of the year mm. which I don't think is true but um, that did make me think about it because uh, it was specifically it was talking about how Watch Dogs Got the old generic um, brown-haired, thirty-something male protagonist, um, mm. uh, saying the most felt uh, the most anticipated game of the year had, um, you know, f- uh, f- had failed a lot of people, which is a fair criticism of Watch Dogs. Although I don't think it's the most anticipated game of the year. I think the most anticipated game of the year was Titanfall, which, in a in a bright side kind of fashion, actually did do a very good job of uh, having a diverse cast, but. Um, I don't know anymore. Uh, Watch Dogs has been one of those ones where it really blew people away when we saw the first trailer, and then everything since then has been kind of downhill. Mm. Um, There's also a Drive Club as well. Mm. Which, that's still not out, is it? I don't think it is, no. Because it was like, it was supposed to be a PS4 launch title. Mm. And then they shoved it back to, um, like, early 2014, mm. just to, like, you know, as a kind of, we just need a tiny bit more time to uh, to complete our vision. And then, you know, like, I think in at the end of Q1, I think, they sort of said, eh, still kind of got a bit of work to Oh, my do. God. We did not just use Q1 in conversation, Pip. I do this. I'm sorry. I come from a corporate background, remember? Like a multinational baby. Um, no, yeah, I did use Q1 and I, I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, that was when it happened. Shut up. It's an actual thing. Um, but yeah, anyway, so Drive Club is is one of those things where you're like, mm, okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, to be honest, I'd rather they delayed it than rushed it out, so... Um... So, yeah, there's that as well. Um, I don't know. In terms of what I'm looking forward to, yeah, I suspect there will be big things announced at E3 out for November. Maybe a few of them delayed till March uh, next year. Is new Batman this year as well? Batman is this year. So I am looking forward to that. That's probably the thing I'm most looking forward to right now. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I think, yeah, those things seem to... They've stuck in my mind for sure as things that I've had to keep an eye on and stuff like that. So but ask us again in a month, and we'll probably have completely different answers. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah, like I guess yeah. After after E three, we shall we shall continue this discussion. Um, yeah. What else uh, did we get in the mailbox? Oh, we've got and cancel for his fantastic questions. <laughs> what? How much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could play video games? <laughs> I feel like that would be one of those iPhone games, you know, like one of those infuriating, <laughs> like high score, thumb breaking. Mm. 
whatever. There's probably a flabby woodchuck out there. There might be. So yeah, I don't know. Like he would he would chuck a certain amount of wood, and then you would spend the rest of your life trying to get him to do more than that. Hmm. And only managing to achieve it every now and again, and that would just be enough to keep you coming back. Mm. That's my answer. But you can unlock more wood for um, a dollar. No, you can unlock different types of wood. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe a, a shinier axe. Also, which flies further. Yeah, stuff <laughs> like that, really. Mm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the answer is it depends how much he pays in microtransactions. Hmm. No, because it shouldn't ever be pay to win. You just have to skin it up differently. <laughs> so it's it's as much as you can make him, Chuck, but you can make him look different with microtransactions. That's how it should be, yes. <laughs> or unlock different environments. I'm imagining this is made by somebody who will then have to go to interview to field all these questions with journalists and they will just have perfected the this isn't pay to win soundbite. Mm. For their free-to-play business, you see. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Vincent says, "I've been playing ETS2 multiplayer, and I have no idea why. What is it that makes these games fun? That's Euro Truck Simulator, isn't it? Yes. Um, I like driving. I mean, I've never played mm. Euro Truck Simulator, but I, if there was a game that." replicated the anything approaching the feeling of driving then I would probably just you know like the the pootling around you know country lanes and stuff yeah I mean we talk, I think we talked about nice. this we talked about it a couple of times before I know mm. we had Adam Smith on he spoke about it specifically that it's a driving game not a racing game and that is a very different feeling the odd thing about Euro Truck is I have a little a bit of a look at it when we were me and Craig were doing our racing games thing. We considered doing a Euro Truck bit, um, but there was um, the game itself doesn't understand its own appeal in, in some ways. I think it's um, it's very much geared to being a simulation. To you're supposed to be running a trucking company. It it doesn't realise that the fun thing about it is just going out for a bit of a drive, and. Now that a load of people have latched onto that and understand why that's good, I would love to see another generation of games that actually embrace that idea and go, just just have a road trip game. Mm. Um, so I think the reason Eurotruck, I mean, that that's the reason Eurotruck is fun, but it's also the reason that in future it might be superseded by other games that concentrate more on that. Does the multiplayer do anything interesting then? Because that was the the specific thing. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Um, I don't know. I haven't tried that actually. That um, came out after I was trying it. Um, it, It's as far as I know, it will just drop the two of you in trucks in the world Mm -hmm. uh, to drive around in, and maybe have a convoy or whatever, and maybe do that annoying thing that trucks do in on the motorway where they very slowly overtake each other. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool. I think I might actually try that out. So and, and try and figure out why I like it if I do. It's so. also apparently very good in an Oculus Rift if if people have mm. access to them. Like you what you'd stuff. need is you'd need the peripheral that gives you a suntan on one arm. <laughs> well, apparently, um, yeah, it's got like a, a button to lean out of the window, 
Yeah, um, but button's not the same. It's not the same oh, as no, like having same, one no. arm like resting on your your yeah. wound down window no. and drumming your fingers on the paintwork. <laughs> I do need one now? like USB fan setup, so when you do that, you get a blast of air on your face. The thing is, though, I think maybe I'm in the minority in terms of games journalists because so many people I know don't have a driving license. Mm, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, so, like, I do wonder it. whether other people who like the truck simulator type stuff mm. but don't have a driving license you kind of think i wonder you know like <laughs> you know where that comes from you know whether it's just a sort of they're getting anything approaching the same experience of driving or whether it's a different kind of relaxation and a different kind of mm. uh level at which your brain is is operating or engaging with um what's around you yeah that's a good point i mean generally Games are generally like fairly young, poor, and uh, work, a lot of them work from home. So it's understandable that many of them don't have driver's licenses. Mm. Um, it was kind of a not exactly a necessity for me, but I really wanted one because otherwise, you know, like I'd be stuck out in the middle of nowhere. No, yeah, I was I was lucky enough to get my parents to I, to yeah for my parents to give it, me lessons as a birthday gift and pass when I was younger. But I can't afford to run a car even though, so I haven't actually driven for three or four years now. Okay, fair enough. I don't have a car, but I uh, used to, and I drive when I go home just to, like, yeah, help out my parents with things. This is far too much information. This <laughs> is not things that Vincent needs to know. Yeah. But actually, um, you know, I used, to, I used to really love driving around the city centre at night, even though, even though I wasn't, like, roaring along country roads or anything like that. It was... Uh, when because I was the only one of my friends to have only one or two of my friends had a driver's license like if we went to someone's house or whatever I'd drive everyone home and then drive back in the middle of the night with the windows down um, and yeah that kind of peaceful feeling I think is a lot of is is what a lot of people feel when they play Euro Truck mm, yeah okay uh, and the last question I have that one I more had. actually oh no go for it then uh <laughs> Stephen Hutton asks, uh, how do you feel about surrendering competitive games? When is it acceptable to concede? Can not conceding be bad manners? I am not a massive fan of conceding because I think that when you're playing against other real people, it undermines their enjoyment. Mm. It does. so, and, And to me, like if surrendering feels like a necessary part of a game to me that implies that you've done something wrong mm, it's um i think i've talked before about how i think it's important in games to make losing fun and putting a surrender in there is basically saying no we didn't manage to make losing fun so i don't think losing has to be fun but i think that you have to still get something from the experience of mm. being in that game and you know like just being able to terminate it when it's not going your way it sort of removes a certain amount of the um, it, of the experience, well, yeah. and I'm, I'm I know that I've talked about it in relation to Dota before because it, it can trap you in you know 40 minutes of not having a good time and you know rowing with your teammates or whatever you know depending on what sort of person you are. But um, there's also the side that sort of says, well you could still try and turn it around or you could, you know, like 
basically giving people an easy way out is kind of like you know when you're playing a casual game and you like I, I do it with Bejeweled all the time like I put it on that one minute challenge and then if something isn't going my way or I haven't reached a certain score level in 10 min- in ten seconds then I'll just restart because the game is worthless because I'll just be like okay well clearly I'm not going to beat that high score and it, it feels like it's that same mentality and I don't think that that suits yeah I mean like I said maybe form is the wrong word but it does feel like a concession that the end of your game not not necessarily always but at least has the potential to be valueless to people um and it, it interesting here you put, um i mean you've talked about uh um not wanting to concede it uh stephen here mentions um not conceding can be bad manners and, uh, and that's a fair point of you you know as much as i like to fight to the last man sometimes you are if, if you have definitely lost you are effectively kind of wasting the other person's time when you do that. It's uh, weird, though, because the manners thing cuts both ways. Because if you decide not to, you know, like if you're in a situation where you could surrender and you decide not to, but then you get to the end of the game and the enemy team won't let it end and they're just being dicks, you're kind of like, I fulfilled what I feel is my end of the contract and now you're just dicking about. So, you know... I I think there are certainly problems with it and there are situations where you just feel like, no, I really wish there was a surrender button. But I think that the I'm looking at this and thinking about Dota, obviously. There are going to be obviously many different types of games where it could um, it, it could exist. Um, and so for that, I think it's um, it's not a good thing to have because you you know i feel like you learn less i feel like you um it it encourages that sort of flippancy and bad behavior you know that kind of stuff but actually thinking about it in hearthstone i'm glad that the concede button exists because you can actually mathematically work out that you are done like you can just end the game because you've done the maths and you know that you can't win and you know it's not going to be fun and maybe that is still cheating the other person out of a victory but given that Hearthstone matches only last a couple of minutes I mm. I feel like the impact is less so perhaps it's to do with the length of the game it's one of those things where I think the investment that each side has made yeah it's one of those things where I think you're right in that um it can be a bad it can be a bad thing, but if you're gonna take it away, you definitely have to consider why you would have put it in there in the first place. And um, you know, think try to think. I, I, I always think it's ten, it tends to be about engaged to try and think about positive encouragement rather than negative. Rather than um, if you take it, it, either rather than taking the button away or in addition to it, make sure that you make. That you give uh, people some kind of positive feedback for those moments where they might be inclined to push it. Give them a better alternative rather than taking away that one. Well, I mean, in some games, um, they'll actually tell you, you know, why you died or the thing that killed you. And then you can, you know, that's sometimes enough to start you thinking about, well, how can I avoid that? Or, you know, what what can I do differently? Um, And so... I don't know. It, I think 
yeah basically i i don't tend to agree with it if you're talking in sort of broad general terms because it feels like a cop-out it feels like taking the path of least resistance and often sort of throwing a temper tantrum you know like oh well i can't possibly win done um you know and maybe that's being unfair to to other people who sort of use it i think as well i gravitate towards games that don't have that because they do tend to just end abruptly and i it, it disrupts my um yeah, enjoyment no, of them strange um uh I, I hit that with board games sometimes you know it's just like moments of uh, moments of uh, moments where you suddenly flip over a card and you're like oh well okay i've won and i guess i guess we stop now mm. yeah that happened with um that happens a bit with Netrunner as well. Like, you know, things mm. can just end so abruptly. Like, you yeah, know, someone I like just... kills themselves by picking up a snare or whatever. It's like I oh. think I was tagged, and um, the person I was playing against had two scorched earth cards in their uh, hand, and yeah. so it was just like, you know, I was dead no matter what happened. But because I'd spent some time like building a rig and stuff, it just it felt like it did feel bullshit. But it, in the same way that a mage victory in Hearthstone feels bullshit, you're just like, oh well, you know, you just got the card that lets you hit me in the face and it's a legit victory but there are conditions where you feel it's more bullshit than other times i guess like if it's not an enjoyable loss or if it's a sudden one then you can just feel like oh well that disrupted the flow of the game that disrupted you know the experience that we were having that me and you know this other person or these other people were actually sort of enjoying together like, I think that's the thing that I I struggle with a lot as well. You know, like, yeah, with board games where something just suddenly ends and you're like, but that wasn't how the evening was going, you know? Yeah. We were actually having a nice time and chatting about it and, you know, sort of semi-role-playing it. And now, now we're just done. Did you say you had one more question? Well, I had one more, but it was more of a roundy things off kind of question because it's from Phil Reynolds and he says, how long will it take me to catch up on the dozen or so podcasts I'm behind? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't know how long it will take him because I don't know the exact lengths of them or whether he's got any like long trips on the horizon. <laughs> yeah. But he's got another hour and a bit to add to that now. So he best <laughs> get on with it. I think they're probably about an hour each, 90 minutes at the most. Well, they sort of uh, end up about an hour and a half, I think. Yeah. Maybe slightly over sometimes. Um but yeah, so I I just I think maybe stay current. And then dip into previous one because what I do is I try and keep up with podcasts I listen to, but then like some of them I know deal with games that I'm familiar with, and so mm. I like hearing other people's opinions on those perhaps more than I like hearing them on a game that I don't play or have no intention of playing or haven't heard or you know like sometimes you can discover things, but I super love hearing people talk about stuff I'm really familiar with and seeing where their points of difference are. Yeah, this is. So prioritise. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know why I'm telling him off. It sounds like you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I I know what you mean. Um, the, to be honest, we've never been terribly topical as a podcast. Like no. we don't really talk about what's in the news very often, unless someone asks a question about it. Um, and... No, well, to be fair, you're playing Kotor two, and I'm yeah. playing Bloody Daisy, which is you know. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, uh, sometimes we play we play new releases when they're out uh, wow. fairly often. But, <laughs> yeah, it's not like that. that should be our point of yeah. difference. Maybe three three will be really topical. Deliberately. Uh, actually, no. Hang on. I, this is a trick question. The answer, Phil, is no time at all because if you're hearing this, you must have caught up by now. <laughs> Well, no, maybe he's doing that thing of like uh, up with the current true. one, and he's just got this this backlog. So I'm concerned about you, Phil. You're not making enough like time for yourself mm. and for for us. You know, <laughs> yeah. Just, mm. just you know. You should start commuting start more, even if you don't have very far to go to work. Maybe even if you work from home, route. you should just you know do a bit of a circuit. Yeah, it'll be fine. You'll have a great time. Essentially, we want to spend more time with you, Phil. <laughs> so that needs to come from you as well. I think I'm done now. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> Shall we say goodbye? <laughs> sure. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>